Mr. Mix, the DJ from the Two Live Crew, take me back to 1986 was the year? Yes. Yes, yes. And when it comes to hip-hop, the hip-hop sound in New York or L.A. is all different. And then you have the Miami quote-unquote hip-hop, but it was a little bit different. How did that come about? From my standpoint, I was in the military like in uh, in 85, and me and, um, you know, Fresh Kid Ice, everybody knows Fresh Kid Ice, um, we were in the military, and we were just basically listening to underground hip-hop records in the barracks. But the thing was... I was the only person in the barracks that had a whole DJ set up in the in the barracks room. So you know we became a commodity without trying to be a commodity, right? So we're just listening to the records and different things. And I had some, um, you know, like I say, DJ equipment. I messed around and found an 808 drum machine at a pawn shop for like 300 bucks. So I brought the machine. So that took it to a whole nother level. So we just said, well, let's try to go in the studio and um and make a record. Based off of what it is that we're hearing on these underground records that, you know, Mantronics and Run DMC and all of these different people whose records were out. So we we took a shot at it. And that's the record that everybody knows in Miami is Beatbox. You know what I mean? So that record came out in California, got into the record pools and was moving around. And that's how Luther Campbell ran across the record and uh, had us come out and do some shows with him back and forth. But we had never had anybody reach out to us about anything before. So we decided, okay, well, let's try to come to Miami and expound on what it is that, you know, that's happening. So Luke had, you know, the ghetto style DJs, things of that nature. And we joined the forces together and made what it is that people know as Miami bass or booty shaking music. It came to be, I I had a big, um, comedy um collection with uh, richard Pryor, eddie murphy and all these things and without my specialty on the military base was scratching the dolomite stuff into the tapes that i was making on the base so what uh, on the base as in military base the military installation so when i put that combination in with some of the party records that they were playing in miami dance to the drummers beat and bongo rock and things like that it became a phenomenon you know it was it was already kind of like a setup marketplace that was already you know miami's already wild and crazy as it is all of these different dialects of um you know races of people that's here is a melting pot of uh, of music so we was able to pretty much go whatever direction we wanted to go and so it was almost like a godsend we really kind of upset the industry because miami wasn't known to have any kind of um, situation as far as nightclubs. Yeah, it was cool, but having a, a a rap identity, there was no such thing as a rap identity. When we got here, there was guys that was doing little, you know, tracks and things like that, but nobody that had an actual artist situation going on before we showed up. At the time, did you call it Miami Bass? No, no, the distributors. <laughs> the distributors uh, came up with that name. What did you, mu- you think about that? <clears throat> yeah, it was cool because we had never really thought about it. What Luke would um, call, um, you know, ghetto-style DJs with the speakers and all that, they called it the ghetto bass, as in um, um, ghetto-style DJs, we got that ghetto bass. 
But what happened is with distributors, with the record start going in different places, yeah, this music is from Miami and it has a whole lot of bass in it. We just call it Miami bass. Yeah, and that was done on purpose, right? Yeah. So the purpose, was was part of the intent? Did anybody say, you know what, we want to make sure that when this music is played, speakers blow? Right, right, exactly, yeah. The um, I guess what we were doing in the studio wasn't ready for the technology of what the speakers. <laughs> hey, well, but you know, at the same time, you know the um, you know how they were doing the cars back in the days. They put the fifteen inch woofers back to the twelve inch woofers. Yeah, that would be like for um, a big sound system. I guess they could sustain it, but the other smaller ones couldn't deal with it. And <laughs> how do you think? That, and I know you you touched on it, and you said that like other artists, they they kind of like you were frowned upon by them right they they, they yeah. were like mad at you but like was it because you were doing like something that they weren't doing uh, like how did everywhere else because obviously the difference between how the music was embraced in miami is different from everywhere else right right nobody well, embraced well it. It, well it it got embraced in a lot of places throughout the south wherever records were being sold it was it just wasn't embraced in the New York but Mecca. A, but there was a reason why it was called Miami Bass, and there's a reason why, at least I think, down here, like, it thrived. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something that came from, you know, it was something that was kind of, like, bubbling under, but there was no particular identity. You know, there was a couple of little records that was being played in the clubs, and you you hear a little bass and this and that, but there was no part, nobody that you could point a finger to to yeah. say, that's that person that's making that record. It was, like, studio guys that was doing the stuff who other than two life crew could you say that contributed to that movement where like everywhere else like i said it before right it was their hip-hop we had our hip-hop yeah i would say um guys like um amos larkins the studio producer um mcad was in you know his dad had a um a record store in um fort lauderdale it's called foresight mc shadig did a couple of records with them before he came over doing stuff with us so there was already rumblings that was happening in the city. It just didn't have no, you know, nobody really knew who the people were. There was no face. There was no publicity. There was no marketing of it. But, you know, it was it was always been like a party atmosphere when it came to that. We just happened to be the first ones to put a bow tie on it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but but it happened with how many albums, though? Oh, yeah. Consistently, um, you know, from 86 to 92, we yeah. had gold and platinum albums. And I think the, the biggest thing with us... We were like, uh, um, we weren't a derailment to what, you know, so-called traditional New York hip hop was. Um, I think that people could relate to us, you know, more than they could maybe, you know, some of the slang words that came out of New York. You had to have a New York state of mind to be able to follow the music, this, that, and the third. With us, it was just, you know, just like any other style of music, whether it's um, disco, R&B, or whatever, it was easy to relate to up-tempo music, partying, and all of that stuff. We showed that hip-hop could really be commercialized and be um, a respected line of, of a situation than what the New Yorkers were doing because they had, even though they had different lanes of whether it was Public Enemy doing something or EPMD doing something or LL doing something, you had different flavors of different variety, but it was still all New York accented New York slang. You know, if you weren't a New York guy or a, a New York person that wanted to pay attention to what it was that was going on up there, some of the stuff was kind of hard to follow. You kind of like put a label on it, right? If you were to put a label on it where we call it Miami Bass, it was also our version of up-tempo hip-hop. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and, the, and this other thing, um, Zog, 
we weren't really looked at. I mean, it was almost like what we did was like a blindside to the whole industry. You know, explicit records being done, even though Slick Rick had um, cussed in the record before and, and all of that on Lottie Dottie and all that. But it wasn't something that was really looked at to take that angle. You know what I mean? Even though this stuff was, you know, rough and rugged in the way that they brought it in New York style. Yeah. I just think that with partying and dancing and, you know, um, you know, Guys want to get the girls. Girls want to get the guys. Just you know, Miami is just that kind of spot. So it permeated into it. Probably what it needed to <laughs> actually be. The explicit versions of everything were like super explicit, even even today. Right, 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 right. And and I think that that was you know, like I say, all of it was based off of we taking these comedy records and taking the bits and phrases, whether it's Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Andrew Dice Clay, and you know, taking a phrase of what they said and then building a whole song around it. I would I would lie to you. I want you to get ready to get on because I got some old nasty to talk tonight. If the music wasn't explicit would it have been as big as it is today? Yeah, I think would have still. Really? I think it still would have been big. I think the the thing about it when we were doing it, we wasn't doing it for it being the so called nasty aspect. We're we no, we're young guys. We're joking around. We're having fun with these comedy records more so than anything. Yeah, I so got we you. we weren't really thinking about it. From that standpoint, I guess it, you know, you know, by the you know hotness and horniness of you know the Miami atmosphere, that's what took it somewhere else. The twerking and all of that stuff—that's always been around here. But you know, it doesn't start with just us making those records and telling them yeah. this, that, and the third. That was already in the atmosphere. Yeah, I know. No, you're right. You're right about that. All right, let me fast forward real quick because you know when we talk about Miami bass, it eventually morphed into. The records got faster. Right, right. It was still, and, and you know, there, obviously there were different artists uh, that came out and producers that were involved and then turned into Miami booty music. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it was based off of how the girls was dancing to it. <laughs> it was really more so that that's what gave it the name. You know, at the time, yeah. you know, Miami was the only place that was on that and then it kind of trickled up to Atlanta because guys were back and forth to Miami. Yeah. And Atlanta, you know, the girls, you know, the strip club stuff started happening maybe a few years after our records actually started getting popular, like 89, 90. That's when stuff started happening in Atlanta with the strip clubs and down here with the strip clubs. There was always strip clubs in Miami, but they were like seedy places. They weren't, you know, they weren't, weren't places that you would want to be caught dead in, you know. But once the once the music became what it became, and just like you said, you know the identity of saying booty music and they you know shake dancing. Yeah, that's what you know took you know a lot of people thought that Luke had a strip club. He didn't have a strip club. He just had a regular nightclub. Yeah, you know. But the people that wanted to come there wanted to have you know the time of their life being in Miami, and and it just it just morphed into something. It wasn't something like we had a playbook and yeah, <laughs> trying so to make that I, I be that. I, I think that based on everything that you're telling me, <laughs> for real, is that the reason why we had our bass music, our booty music, that was Miami's version of hip-hop, was because of the way the girls move. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just think that, I think like... If you think about, I mean, we're too young to have been in Studio 54, but we know that disco music was a big deal. Yeah. Especially here, you know, they had TK records, you had, old, you know, Ring My Bell and a couple of other big records that was um, 
here in Miami in the um, late 70s, early 80s. It's like an extension of that because Miami's always been a street place where there's a lot of street money and big partying and all that kind of stuff that's always been a big deal around here. I've always said it, a city that you can have people wearing bathing suits 12 months out of the year. Right. Well, what do you expect? You right. Know, it's exactly. a sexy city. Right. Which means you're going to get sexy dancing, which right. means you're going to get sexy and different type of music. Right. And maybe even sexy and other different type of extracurricular activities. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. For sure. It's it's just in it's just in the atmosphere, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's and it it's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's human nature. Yeah. Really at the end of the day, I just think that just like I say, by what it is that Tula Crew and Luther Campbell did, we um had a record company that was off the grid. We weren't, you know, sponsored by a big company, so we were kind of doing our own th- we no kind of we were doing our own thing and we was making an impact that nobody ever thought could actually even happen, but it's the people that loved what it was that we were doing, yeah. you know, just as a whole. You know, it, it was a great time when that stuff actually happened. It showed that if you have a little tenacity and an atmosphere that follows you, you can you could do what it is that you need to do, for sure. Well, you, you know you made an impact in a lot of people's lives. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, especially down here, especially down here <laughs> in Miami. But, you know, when, when you are able to even 30, 35 years later, be able to play some of these songs where, you know, like I said, it, that was our version of hip-hop at the time compared to everywhere everywhere else. And you were able to play those songs 35 years later and get a reaction from people and have people sing the songs word right. by word. You know what I'm saying? Lyric by lyric. I think that just, that says a lot. I mean, I was able to do a party recently. Uh, any old school party, I dropped some of the old school bass, some of the old school Two Life crew, and that's my go-to, and it works. And so it was influential, and um, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't realize the impact that you make in people's right. lives, and in the in this case, in the movement when it comes to hip-hop. Right, right. I think um, just us being in the moment of making the records and making a party be a party for real, that was our whole, you know, get down of how we was, you know, making the records. And I think the records stand the test of time because a party is a party. You know, maybe the dances might change a little bit. The clothes might change a little bit. But energy is never um, replaceable. If you have great energy, you know, and, and it shows up in the records in a particular way, you know, you could have better sonics than the sound. But the energy, you can't replace that. Mr. Mix from the Two Live Crew. By the way, we got to shout out, obviously, Luther Campbell, Brother Marquise, uh, Fresh Kid Ice, Chinaman, rest in right. peace. Rest in of peace, of course. And, and and you uh, you were so impactful. And I, thank you for sharing your story, man, because uh, a lot of people don't know this, and they should know this. Right, right. And especially it, when we're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop right. this year, they got to know, you know where Miami was on the map, not geographically, but musically, and, and right. how we were different and how we stood out from like everybody else. While they had their hip-hop, I keep on right. saying it, we had our version. Of hip hop. Basically, New York created it, but we changed the game. That's <laughs> basically. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Sorry, the New Yorkers that have been uh, implanted in Miami. That's, well, that's they the truth. need to know the lessons. It's just like we yeah. have to learn about certain um, New York right. pizza and different yeah. things when we go up there. That's right. You should have an understanding of what the atmosphere is. This has always been this. Um, New York didn't change us. It was this was already here. It was just you know we just gift wrapped it. I like that. Way. We gift wrap it. We gift wrap it using a phone. <laughs> Yo, Mr. Mix, I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you, Zog, for sure, brother.